I think that's the difference between a good or decent salesperson and someone who's just going to win. Like your top tier salespeople, because those top tier are going to do whatever it takes to make sure that they're winning. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Jeremy Mills, the consummate professional in the house today. Jeremy, thanks for joining Chris and I. My pleasure. Good seeing you again, Jeremy. It's great seeing you guys as well. Where do we start? At the beginning. At the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeremy. Tell us a little where you grew up, what you were like as a kid. Brief little rundown so the audience can get to know you a little bit. Yeah, so I was born and raised in California. Lived there until I was about nine. Mm-hmm. Parents in government contracting, so we moved out here after that. Pretty much been in the Centerville, Virginia area for mostly my whole life. Went to college, went to ITD Tech. Mm-hmm. Stopped that after they shut down and then kind of went into the serving industry since I was about 2021 or so. Okay. Did that for... Hold on a second. So you're covering a lot of ground really quickly. So you went to high school? Went to high school. Graduated high school and then you went to trade school? Yeah. ITT? Kind of both. I did Nova for two years. Okay. Got my associates there. That's a community college. And then transferred into ITT Tech to do more like computer security, like cybersecurity, that okay. kind of stuff. Okay. Really didn't like it a whole lot just because I couldn't see myself sitting behind a desk, behind a computer for 40 hours a week till I was like 65. Yeah. Which so how, how far through the program did you get? Pretty close, actually. I think I had maybe a semester, two semesters left. Okay. And then they shut down. So why did they shut down? A lot of debt issues and okay, stuff. I see. So I looked into transferring into George Mason to see kind of what that transfer was like. And I was going to lose about 50% of my credits. Wow. So I said, forget that. I just went back to the restaurant industry. I was killing it for several years. Where'd you go work? All over the place. Anywhere from California Pizza Kitchen into one of my favorite places right here in Tyson's Seasons 52. Okay. So left there and then came here to Memory Blue. So what were you doing at Seasons 52? You name it, I was doing it. Awesome pants? No, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> you needed it too. No, uh, mostly serving, waiting tables, okay. working private events, mm-hmm. occasionally bartending, shift leading, which is like their hourly management position. Pretty much the whole gambit. Anything front of the house that you can think of, I pretty much did it. When you said you couldn't see yourself sitting in front of a desk 40 hours a week to 65, was that because you you had this great experience waiting tables, kind of the, the pace of it, or what? Like, where did that come from? Like, kind of getting to know yourself a little bit more, what was going to make you happy? Yeah, no, it, and that's exactly it, was the fact that being in the restaurant industry, being mobile, working with people every day, building those relationships was something that I really enjoyed doing myself. So my picture in my head that I have of working the nine to five was sitting at your desk, staring at your computer all day long, and then That's leaving it by, it <laughs> sitting in traffic and coming back. That's pretty much what it is though, right? Nowadays, yeah. absolutely. Well, pieces, he's joking, but piece, pieces of it are, and they're not, when he's, you're doing cyber stuff, right? Systems integration work, 
that's more really looking at the computer every day versus which we'll get to oh for sure the interaction of this world of sales development and selling which you're in yeah but for sure all right so keep but keep going so you were just um, like yeah so basically said forget that and went back to the restaurant industry i mean it's okay quick easy money as long as you're good at it it's even better money when you can build those relationships and you walk out with cash every single day mm -hmm. so I mean, you can make good money, but you also have to work for it. Like it's grueling work if you're in a high volume place. So over 30, you can't do the same things you could do when you're 20s. A young man's game. It's a very, very young man's game unless you, <laughs> you're like a bartender and you've got your clientele and it's just regular money coming in. So that's when I decided to take a look at something else. And actually, Memory Blue wasn't my first choice. It's actually a great story. Right, this podcast is over. <laughs> <laughs> no. We're it, freaking finished. I had met a guy at a gas station. He needed money for gas. And no, no, no. no. So, so obviously listen to that person. <laughs> no, get this. So he worked at Carfax right down the street, the one in Center. Well, sure. Why did he need money for gas? I don't know, but we were just sitting there talking. I gave yeah. him 10 bucks for gas. And he said, hey, I want to repay you for this. So here's my card. If you're ever looking for a job, come in and, and interview with us. I said, yeah. okay, great. So I did just that. Jeremy Mills painted forward, Corcoran. <laughs> Karma. Karma. So I get through their interview process, and I'd say probably within the first interview or so, me and the lady built a really good connection. She was like, look, like I really want someone with experience, and you don't have that. But here's two companies, one being Memory Blue, one being one of the competitions that obviously sucks. <laughs> and I said, okay, great had that sitting up on my wall for about six months and was like, okay, I'm over the restaurant industry. So Let's give of, these guys a call. So you paused it for a second, right? So the yep. Carfax thing you went in, but you're like, okay, still not ready. So you still restaurant for another six months and then at some point you're like, all right, I need to call these guys. Yep, absolutely. And the car was sitting on a wall somewhere or sitting in a corkboard cork right board. above my desk. Okay. So thank you, uh, lovely lady from Carfax yep. for uh, referring us. Yeah, she's a shout out. Yeah, whoever she, she is. She actually gave you guys glowing reviews. She was like, this is probably one of the best training places you could ever get your training from. Sweet. That's all right. Podcast is, oh, now it's over. Is that on a high note. I don't know. I don't know who that woman is, but that's great. So okay. before we move on, so as a server, because we really enjoy hiring servers and have had a lot of great success. What did you learn as a server that helped you when you got into sales? I would say probably the number one thing, and this applies to any any sales or any people position things, is just building relationships. Because as a server, if you can get 20 or 30 regulars coming in once a month, that's they're going to tip you better, for sure. You get to know them as people as opposed to, hey, you're just the food I'm putting down in front of you. And you make a lot more money that way because typically they're going to tip you better than 15, 20% that you're going to get from anybody else. So I would definitely say building those relationships through the one-on-one -on -one dialogues with those people. Absolutely. The biggest thing I took away from that here in the sales. Wow. All right. That's going to be a theme with you that resonates relationships. So I'm curious, you give this bum some money for gas that leads into an interview with Carfax. Mm -hmm. Didn't have the necessary skills or experience, so you got referred to us. Mm -hmm. Then six months pass. 
-hmm. What happened? What was the straw that broke the camel's back that said, you know what? Enough's enough with serving. I'm going to call this business card. What happened? It it was actually super easy. The straw that broke the camel's back was a change of management. So the first person that I was working with, our, our general manager, amazing human being. Definitely took me under his wing and kind of did more of the mentor kind of thing for me. And he got moved to another location because they needed help to build up that location like he had done ours. The guy that came in after that, you could tell he was there for the paycheck. Didn't really care. Was legitimately running the restaurant into the ground and I couldn't do it anymore. Having worked there for three or four years and just seeing that happen, going from great to bad, just like you said, straw that broke the camel's back for sure. And so what I'm curious, because, you know, if, if people talk about leadership and what was the biggest difference between the two? Like, what could you what made the second one stand out compared to the first or the first compared to the, the second? I think, like I said, I think having the person that cares about their employees first and then drives them to excellence versus someone who's just there for a paycheck. It was literally like in your face if you weren't doing the things that he wanted to do, he'd sit there and yell at you in front of everybody. It, it was legitimately just a lack of leadership, people skills completely. Interesting. So that drove you away immediately. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you to that guy too. That Why do you got to call the other guy a bum? The other guy gave him business card. He didn't have money for gasoline. Yeah, I mean, he's a bum though. Maybe he forgot his wallet. So maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm just having fun. With this. All right. So <laughs> talk, walk us through the memory blue. So you had it B2B sales do you know anything about it or is I'm just calling this place because of the the nice lady at Carfax that called these guys? Yeah, that's essentially what it was. No B2B background at all. Hadn't done sales outside of the restaurant industry, which I wouldn't even really consider sales because you know, they're going to buy something anyway. You upsell them though. You can absolutely upsell them, but you know, they're going to buy something regardless. So, and very, very short sales timeline on that one. Right. Four years ago, October 2017, Jeremy started with us. Three years ago. What year is it? <laughs> four years right, ago. Four years four. ago. Yeah. So, yeah, I had known nothing, looked you guys up online, saw good things, applied, and then legitimately started like deep diving into what the heck this cold calling thing is. Watched some YouTube videos before the interview because I knew that one of the parts was going to be cold calling part of it. Didn't mm-hmm. want to screw that up. Mm-hmm. I didn't do it perfect, which was great. You're not supposed to. Yeah. Despite what some delivery managers may think on the role play cop and close. Keep going. Yeah. So literally just hopped online, watched some YouTube videos about people doing it, tips and tricks and stuff, and trying to put those into a script. Luckily, oh, who did I interview with? I interviewed with Nick and... Swaggy P. Swaggy P. He was the first one. And then, who was the second one? I don't know. I don't either. <laughs> Memorable. The only only first person Jeremy can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, no, it's one of the Joeys. What the, <laughs> no, it, what, we had Joey Plush. It was Joey Plush. Okay. JP. Okay. Not Cohen. So yeah, that was great. The training was good. A little different than it is now for sure. From what I understand, the new training now is a lot, 10 times better. But we had the yeah. 101 and 102 back then. Mm-hmm where each of the delivery managers ran a specific session. So learned a lot there. What, whose team did I go on originally? 
I'm blanking on That's it. That's all right. It's not as important as t- talk to us about easing into the role. Into oh, the I gig. got my butt kicked. Yeah. For probably the first three or four months. <laughs> that's that's when you know you're doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for but sure. You know you're trying. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that, yeah, luckily I had a pretty easy client mm-hmm. with UMUC okay. the first time. So talking to HR people and learning development people was a lot easier than your typical like cybersecurity client or mm-hmm. something like that. So that was good. But yeah, after the first couple months of getting my butt kicked several times daily, you just kind of start building that thick skin and you start understanding what it takes to get more efficient with what you're doing, which is, in my opinion, one of the biggest takeaways you could take from this is learning to get more efficient in the role you're in before you take the next step. Two things. We'll come back to that efficiency thing. What was it that you were getting your butt kicked by? Like what was kind of holding you back? Was it that efficiency part or was it something else? Not holding you, not holding you back. Sorry. What were you learning? Was it the nature of the cold call? Was it just calling people straight out of the blue at their office and how to open it? Was it, I mean, what was kind of like, man? I think it was a combination of everything. So I didn't understand their role. I didn't really know what made them tick in their role. I didn't have the confidence because I wasn't seeing the success from my cold calls to go into the calls like I would now. Mm -hmm. But I pretty much boil all of it. Like the the work itself, making 100 dials, that's the easy part. Like that's the simple part, but I think understanding the role of the people you're talking to is probably the most important part. And that's what I was lacking. Got it. Okay. And what's that efficiency part you were talking about? I think it ties right into learning their roles. So one thing, anytime I take a new position now I'll do is I'll hop on monster. I'll hop on any of those job recruitment sites and legitimately like research the roles I'm going to call into understand what their responsibilities mm. are, learn what their language is like, learn how to talk to them. And then that creates the efficiency on the back end where you can not make a hundred calls a day to book two or three meetings. Now you can make 50 calls and book the same two or three meetings or like where I'm at now, I make 25 calls a day. I can book two meetings out of those 25 calls. If I get four connections easily, because you understand what those people, what they say, what they want, what they care about, really. And I don't care what the outcome is of the cold call. If they tell me to go take a hike, I'm fine with that. Which trail? Any of them. They don't tell me to go kick rocks. Exactly. But I think as long as you're understanding what they care about and what you can do to fit into their world to make their life easier is the most efficient thing you can ever do. Boiling it down. This is like this is what I was saying, constant professional. So, but how do you learn that? So, did you learn that from just the beatings of the conversation? Did you learn that from booking them? Did you learn from getting on the sales calls for the client reps? Was it your DM? Was it a combination of things? I would say it's a combination. I think the, the biggest part of it is getting your teeth kicked in mm-hmm. so many times <laughs> on the cold calls that I wouldn't even say the breaking point. I'd say you're at your bending point where you're either going to break through and understand what you have to do to change something, or you're going to end up breaking and you're going to say, I can't do this anymore, which I would never say. So what led me to do that was legitimately saying, okay, I'm sick and tired of having these terrible calls. What can I do taking that personal responsibility to make this better and leveling up my game from there. You're not allowed to talk about personal responsibility, Jeremy. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> All right. The moment of truth. 
who else is with you on this journey? Who, who are you riding with? Are other people you on your campaign with you? Are there people on your on Team Plesh or any team you're on? Like, who else were you learn from? So tons of people. So back in the day, Andrew Palmer ended up being my uh, DM okay. after getting promoted. Yep. Which has happened a couple times since then. Richard Gray, one of my best That's friends. Right. Richard Gray. Over science logic. Coach. Gotta get him Coach. on. Gotta get him on. Cold beer. Yeah. Loves it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did you know Richard before you worked here? Yeah. Okay. I, I recommended that okay. come here. Oh, really? Right. Right. Okay. All. Well, thank you for, for uh, referring Richard. Yeah, absolutely. Towards the end of my first bout here, Kelly Corville okay. was here. Yeah, nice. Now training director. Who else was on the team? Who else was really good besides yourself? Besides yourself, who was the best person in the office during round one? Or yeah, actually, no one remembers round one or round two. You can whoever you think it was. I no, well, no, no, no. I will say Joey Cohen was huge for me. Him and why am I blanking now? He was huge. Like who's the other one? There was another person that was on the internal sales team here that I would legitimately talk to like all the time. Dude or gal or gal? No, guy? it was a gal, and I'm. Carly? Carly. Carly Armantrout. Armantrout. Yeah, yeah, boom. Yeah, she's strong. (laughs) Super. She knows what she's doing. Anytime I would craft a new email, I would run it by her first and say, hey, what do you think of this? Carly. What don't you like? You're always welcome back, Carly. (laughs) Anytime, Carly. Doors wide open. So you went to the people who were experienced, right? Because Carly and Cohen were SDRs for a while. Yeah. Right? And then SDEs. Carly was an SD for a while. We made her do all sorts of things for us. Mm -hmm. And so you were learning from them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, no offense to anybody out there, but like, I'm not going to go to a bottom or mid tier SDR to ask for help. That just, that's not going to work. Like you always have to seek out the best of the best. Otherwise you're going to get something that's going to mislead you somewhere. Yep. In my opinion. So you're here, you're rocking on fictive, right? No, no, I'm sorry. You're, I don't know what you're on. Fictive index. Yeah. You're on fictive now. He was on UMUC. UMUC. I was on UMUC. And then they ended up leaving, did PPMs for a while. I don't even remember the clients anymore. Mm -hmm, Honestly, mm -hmm, I probably mm -hmm. blocked them out. That's a while ago. (laughs) And then ended up on PI, the predictive index. And that one kind of took me back to where I started at. So that was more talking to HR people and learning and development, some sales leaders. And that one was like amazing. So I've already got done all the research from UMUC for it stepped into that one and just took off, which was super cool because that was probably one of the easier clients that I was on. And like I said, all that pre-research that I would normally do has already been done. I already know how to talk to these people. I've actually already got these contacts that I can talk to because of my experience at UMUC. So that's why it was easier. Yeah, It wasn't that it was easier. It was that you had the experience, you had the exposure, you had your teeth kicked in for those many months. Mm -hmm. That's why it was easier. There's just there's yeah. this myth that there's things that are easy. I don't think there's things that are easy. I think that you get better. Yep. And because you're better, it becomes easier. Yep. Yeah. You were talking about, I was really bad for three or four months. And then you told me five minutes later, it's because I was getting my teeth kicked in. That doesn't sound easy. <laughs> oh, there's nothing easy about but it. But you just got better at it because you put the time in. A lot of people head for the hills. Mm-hmm. So maybe it would have taken a little bit longer on a cyber campaign. Maybe. But if you get more relevant with how you speak to the personas about what's important to them, you might be more effective that way too. Like, so I appreciate you saying it's, it's easier, but I think you just made it easier. Yeah. 
For sure. We have plenty of people who don't, there are plenty of people out there who don't make it easy. Like, well, it's so easy. Just, just, you gotta do it. Well, I got smart about it too. Yeah. So like all the meetings I would book for UMUC, when I got on the new client, I reached back out to the same people. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, you've already built the relationship. They already hopefully know who you are. Mm -hmm. And people that have taken meetings in the past are also more likely to take meetings in the future. So that was a good one. And you're absolutely right. It, it didn't get easier. I got better. And the foundation was already built. So you could build anything up from there. That's why the lady from Carfax wanted to hire someone with experience because mm -hmm. she didn't want to be the person who had to kind of finance the learning experience, your education. Yeah. Thanks for her to send me here. It's been great so far. Yeah. So you were a PI doing your thing, yep. right? And so as you were kind of figuring this all out, where'd you think you wanted to go with the career? Now that you're firmly planted in this high tech sales world at that point, not firmly, but you know, service industry's memory. Yeah. So where'd you think you wanted to go? So at this point, I'd probably been in the SDR role for probably about a year. Honestly, hadn't really thought about too much outside of that. Thought about being a DM here, thought about getting hired out by my client, kind of just depended on, well, let's be honest here, it depended on what the offer they made was. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't really sure. There's several different routes you can go from an SDR. I could have gone into marketing somewhere, but that's boring. So ended up getting hired out by PI. Their offer was pretty good. And I was already crushing it. So transferring it to their level of stuff was super easy too. Well, it wasn't easy. I was just better at it because I'd already been doing it. It was their first outbound SDR. Mm -hmm, I remember from your house, right? Yep. Before working from your house was a trend. Yep. Well, yeah, exactly. And being the first of anything in a company is going to be tough. The pioneer takes the arrows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. They hurt sometimes. <laughs> so sting. Yeah. So that was actually, I would say it wasn't tough. I would say it was fun because I got to legitimately build an outbound program from the ground up. Like they didn't even have a CRM. They Well, they had Salesforce, but they didn't have like any dialing programs like sales loft or outreach. So I got to play and experiments on those to see which ones we liked better. And essentially, since they were behavioral analytical software, I did have a role in all the hires they made after that because they kind of based them off of me, but or on my profile. But yeah, no, super fun, super fun experience there. And what did you think to you? To, okay, I'm liking this profession. Did you have any ideas where you wanted to go? We'll go actually, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, no, at that point, still I had no idea. It was yeah. just kind of still in the daily grind. And, and that was fine. Yeah, me. of course. So then you ended up coming back. Yeah. COVID. COVID. All right, let's talk about it. So at PI, being their first outbound guy, ended up getting promoted to being one of their inbound BDRs. And that was fun. Then COVID started, I guess, right around. Before we move on, yeah. talk about the biggest differences between outbound and inbound. Are you looking to join an industry with unlimited professional opportunity? It has never been a better time than right now to start a lucrative career in high-tech sales. Memory Blue has launched hundreds of careers for accomplished high-tech sales professionals from our offices coast to coast. And right now, we're in hiring mode. 
Working with us will accelerate your professional growth and place you on a path to success early in your sales career. You'll get world-class training through the Memory Blue Academy program and sharpen those skills with ongoing mentorship and coaching from our seasoned sales leaders. Memory Blue is an expansion mode and we have immediate openings in all of our offices. We have been named one of the fastest growing private companies in the U.S. by Inc. Magazine for eight straight years. Our award-winning culture has been recognized by third-party industry groups as the best in the business as we routinely add unbelievable benefits and rewards for our team. To learn more and apply to any of our openings, visit memoryblue.com slash careers today. Yeah, the night and day. So outbound, you're more of that hunter type role. You get to pick who you're reaching out to. And it's viewed as tougher, in my opinion. But that's just because I don't think people put a lot of effort into getting better at it. Versus inbound, where you don't really have those same options of who you reach out to anymore. You kind of have to take exactly what is coming in. Granted, those are people that actually want to talk to you versus outbound, where most of the time they don't. So it tends to be easier to get into conversations, easier to book meetings out of or setting up the sale or whatever your outcome you're looking for is. But it's a completely different mentality. So you go from the hunter to being more of a gatherer and focusing more on qualifications, depending on whatever your organization is doing. At the time, we were doing more of like the Sandler model where we're doing really, really deep diving pain discussions with them. So which is a lot more in depth than we were doing on the outbound side. Mm -hmm. So completely different thought process there. It was more qualifications based. So what's harder? I think honestly, equally, they're equally as hard. Cause like I said, they're both different mindsets. So outbound, you get to pick your targets of who you're reaching out to. So if you know that there are targets that fit right into your ICP, then it can be easier if you're dealing with people that are outside your ICP that are coming in inbound, but you still have to reach out to them anyway. Mm -hmm. Great. So you got promoted from outbound SDR to inbound SDR mm -hmm. and then bring some speed about COVID. Then COVID happened. Yeah. So PI did a wonderful job managing it for the first couple months and then stuff got real. They ended up laying off about 80% of their sales force. Whoa. Myself included. They kept four people out of a team of 26. So it might actually be more than 80%. Wow. Yeah. So that was tough. I personally was interviewing to probably 10, 15 places a week for about five months and just nobody was hiring, which is understandable, especially with everything going on in the yeah. world. There's a lot of uncertainty, right? Yep. Absolutely. So I thought we were going to turn into a bunch of zombies. God, I was hoping. <laughs> <laughs> no, my favorite means is like a little stick figure poking the COVID thing. Come on, make zombies. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> So during that time, I had a couple offers on the table, but they just weren't the right fit for me. And one of them was working with one of the a partners with PI. So essentially stepping right into the same role I was doing, except doing a more full cycle, but it was 100% commission based. Mm -hmm. And just where I was at at the time, it was not feasible to do just 100% commission based, especially when you're looking at a two to three month sales cycle for these deals. Mm -hmm. And also had never closing work before ever. So stepping into something like that just probably wasn't going to work. So still interviewing, still interviewing. I said, okay, I'm going to take a week off and go to the beach. Just kind of de-stressed. We had a friend who had a house out at one of the beaches mm -hmm. and... 
it's funny. I was still holding interviews while I was there. So I had two interviews set up. One was to take my old position back with PI. Ended up not doing that because it was at a very reduced pace. And it was actually quite funny. I'm sitting on the beach enjoying a pre-made margarita. And Andrew Palmer gives me a call. <laughs> says, hey, I know you're probably still looking for work. We're making a new team here at Memory Blue to focus just on PPMs. Like, what do you think? So let's set up some time to talk. Right now, probably not a great time to talk. I'm at the beach, but... Got my uh, margarita going. Got margaritas going, but yeah, let's set it up. So did that, talked with him, talked to Kristen Wisdorf and Max. Talked to both of them, kind of figured out the details of it, knew what I wanted to do and fell in line with that. So decided to come on back. You mean your triumphant return? <laughs> triumphant return, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I, I've got to ask. So during the search, did you ever contact that woman from CarMax? Nope. Carfax. Carfax. Yeah, Carfax. Why? Why not? It was too far removed. So okay. I completely forgot that I had even applied there, I see. to be honest, until legitimately, like, I brought the story back up to you guys during the prep call. Okay. Or just now. Yeah. And it just never hit what never I was thinking Never crossed your mind. Never no. crossed your mind. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you're back, and I guess we're a little bit into COVID, so when you came back, mm -hmm. and then what I really want to get to is kind of these experiences you've had and how it kind of helps you size up opportunities, mm -hmm. because you've worked with us, you worked with some different clients, you came back, and you're on Rapid7, right? Currently a memory blue client. Yep. Right? The world of cyber. and just kind of walk, Yeah, Mr. Jinko, walk us through some of those things. And walk us through, like, your perspective now. You're coming back, and you know, obviously, you got this great career ahead of you. You're like, okay, like, what were you thinking? Obviously, you had to have an income in those things, but you're a smart guy. You're thinking ahead. What was your perspective on coming back, and where'd you hope it would lead? So, coming back in full transparency yeah. was about survival. Sure. I've been off of work for five months. I needed X amount of dollars per month coming in to survive a healthy bank account, but I really didn't want to touch it because I just worked and saved up all that money. Yep. So it's more survival than anything. Coming back onto the cybersecurity campaigns, again, just like I, I first started out, got my teeth kicked in for the first couple months. And then, especially with Rapid7, because that's cybersecurity, and now you're in a COVID world trying to sell yep. a new technology into things. And it was rough. With Shijinko, I found my stride, though, mm -hmm. because I figured out some of the deeper level pains that these people were going through and how we could tap into that. So that was like my bread and butter for probably three or four months easily. Like if they were my only campaign that I was working on, I would have been crushing it. But yeah, it, it was tough to start out with. So there's an expression or saying that a man never steps in the same river twice. Mm -hmm. The river's never the same and the man's never the same. So I'm curious your standpoint what was different about Memory Blue upon your return? And what was different with you upon your return? <laughs> Couple things. One of the same things that I came into like the first time was I was probably the oldest person in the office outside of like you guys in the senior leadership. Is that a Chris? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> being in my mid thirties at this point, coming in and, and again, being the oldest person, like you said, it's you're, the man's never the same. I've obviously gotten 
two, two and a half years of experience under my belt. So mm-hmm. I know what I'm getting myself into. Yeah. As far as things different here, I had the opportunity to go through the sales training again, but I felt I didn't really need to do that. Now I probably would have done it just to see what the experience is sure. like, to be honest. Even if I learned like two or three new things from it, I think it still would have been valuable. But I chose to just hit the ground running. So I think I was on the phones day two after coming back and found out that doing the cybersecurity stuff, you could still do well in it. It just took that much more work to get it done than it used to. So I'd say I was probably putting in between 200, 250 phone calls a day, sending an equal amount of emails as that every day. Would I say in those seven months that I was working on that campaign, was I successful at all? Probably not, but it's all relative. So you had some success, but limited. I'd say it was limited. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's, not, it's not easy. No, definitely not easy. A lot of these companies don't make it. And it's not because we're not booking a current meeting for them. Yeah, that's true. But I would say compared to like our top dog in the office at that time, which was Dang. Still is. Is he still here? Yeah, he's still the top dog. Okay. Yeah. Paid himself into a quarter. He was crushing it. He still is. He still is. So (laughs) amazing. I would sit down and talk to him and say, hey, look, like you're doing X, Y, and Z. I'm not. Help me fill the gap of what you're doing, what you're saying, kind of Mm -hmm. learning from, again, that top dog. And things got better. So I think I did that for six, seven months or so. And then Max put a meeting on my calendar with him and Kristen and Andrew. And I'm like, all right. (laughs) I've been through this road before, about to get fired. Okay, bring it on. What you got? (laughs) And I could not be further from the truth. So they had someone leaving a campaign and they needed a very experienced person to step in and kind of help write the ship, so to speak. And that ended up being fictive. So worked with them for about three, two weeks before they offered to hire me out. Two wow. or three weeks. Well, uh, before we run to the fictive, yeah, I'm very curious. What did you hear from Dang that you incorporated to, to get your results to go up? What did you hear from him? So part of it, and this came from being able to listen to his calls, was a more boldness with these cybersecurity people than you would tend to have with mm-hmm. anybody else. So as opposed to boldness. Yeah. I'd say as opposed to rolling into the phone call and asking for permission, just jumping right into it and just saying, hey, this is why I'm calling. I know we can help you do this. What do you think? And then asking probing questions from there. The second was the amount of activity. So if you're only talking to one person making 100 calls and you know it takes three, two or three people to talk to in order to book a meeting, double or triple your activity. That was the other one because he was consistently putting in like $250, $300 a day while still booking two, one or two meetings a day. And I think that right there, I don't think a lot of people are willing to do it. Well, I already, I already know they're not willing to do it. Yeah. And, and I've got all the data that supports it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But I think that's the difference between a good or decent salesperson and someone who's just going to win like your top tier salespeople, because those top tier are going to do whatever it takes to make sure that they're winning. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. So let's move on to, to fictive. Yeah. So well, you, real quick, real quick, real fast. I think it's great. I'm glad 
I'm kind of bummed you thought you were going to get fired. <laughs> There's no way we we're going to do that. But I like how it worked out. Oh, yeah. Right? For sure. Absolutely. We were thrilled that you wanted to come back. You could have kept looking for a job and found a job. But that's why we did reach out to you. Like, hey, Jeremy's like, I want to come back. He's a real smart guy. He's got a lot of things going. And we were worried about our own COVID situation. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad when you sat down with him, you were pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Very much so. Well, no. And to that, that point, too, I mean, sometimes in society's view, you have to take a step or two back mm-hmm. to sometimes have those massive leaps forward. So just because you go from making 50, 60, 70 K going down to 40 in society's view, looks like you're going backwards. You're not being, you're not successful. Sometimes you have to go through that to toughen your skin to then make those leaps forward. Yeah, it's not linear. Nope. Everybody, has, especially in high sales, especially in high tech sales. But this isn't how it works. Mm-hmm. You have to get on some trains and ride some roller coasters and see where some of them go. And despite your best efforts, they may not go the way you envisioned it. No, you yeah. got to keep going. And sometimes you have your ladder leaning against one wall and it's the wrong wall. Right. So. Right. And think if you had had to let your pride get the better of you, I'm fucked this. I'm going to keep looking for another job. I'm not be I'm not, <laughs> you would have gotten something, but yeah, I don't actually. think you would be where you are now. Nope. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Kind of happened quickly. So fictive wants like that. A veteran. Yeah. A veteran. A KG vet. KG veteran. Consummate professional. And so we press you into duty and you gladly accept the role. Yep. So what happened? Walk us through. It sounds like it was kind of like a dumpster fire and you came in and it quickly took control of the situation and obviously impressed them within just a couple of weeks that they wanted to offer you. Walk us yeah. through what happened. So I wouldn't say it was a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man. Uh, No, I would say that they were doing pretty well on the campaign because there was three people on it. One person was leaving and it was going on Rising Stars. So they needed someone to take the place. Came in, had zero, like zero knowledge about the manufacturing world. Zero knowledge. I know how to buy stuff, (laughs) but how it got made, no idea or the number of iterations to go into making stuff. Zero experience with manufacturing. So I worked with Quentin on kind of getting up to speed for about three days and kind of did a deep dive into kind of what I needed to learn in order to talk to these people. And again, about a week, really didn't see much out of it, but that was because I was still learning. And then I'd say, Week two until today, like, it just took off. Like, as soon as I learned what these people were responsible for, what they cared about, mm-hmm. this guy was open. I mean, it's all over your LinkedIn profile. It's so He's got such great copy on it. It's very crisp. Speaks directly to the people who I think you're probably going after. Mm-hmm. Very clear is what we do. And I mean, it's very compelling. Yeah. Is that part of it? Is that part of the game? Oh, not- 100%. Yeah. Like if your LinkedIn profile is set up like a resume, I think you're doing things wrong if you're in sales. Because I know that when I talk to somebody on the phone and I see them look at my LinkedIn profile, they don't care if I won President's Club. They don't care if I closed a million dollars in sales. They want to know what I'm going to do to help them out hmm. or what I can do for them. Oh, Jeremy, that's a, that's a pearl. So, so talk about your LinkedIn profile and how you set it up and how you would, would advise others to set up theirs. Speak to your customers in their language. So I know for mine, I didn't really know how to set it up the way I wanted it to. So what did I do? Went to someone smarter. 
or not smarter, but has been doing it longer and knows what they're doing. So I just started following a bunch of marketing and sales leaders at different companies and kind of seeing what they said about it. And one of them was saying that, you know, focus your profile on what your customers want to see. What's your message to them? What can you do to help them out? So I just looked at the emails I was having, the conversations I was having, and took notes from those calls and legitimately wrote out my LinkedIn profile. Helping engineers make high quality, tight tolerance CNC parts quickly. That's what his LinkedIn thing is. Mm-hmm. It's so funny, not don't make it look like a resume. Yeah. But so many salespeople make it look like the resume. Of course. They might have underneath there, two times President Club winner, Oahu, 2020. <laughs> you know? Yay, good job, Joe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So what you were sharing with the listeners a little bit about the situation that you walked into at Fictive, but what did you do in those first couple of weeks that impressed them so much that they said, we got to convert them immediately? So this is going to sound kind of arrogant and it is, but whatever. I knew I was going to go in to be able to step into the role and book meetings for them. Mm-hmm. That's a given. I've got three years of experience under my belt. I know exactly what I'm doing. I think the biggest thing is building that relationship with the AE. Mm-hmm. Like, knowing personal stuff about them that you can ask what they're doing, that kind of stuff. But I think too, especially under memory blues model, how well do you know your rep? That's the communication point between the two companies, Mm -hmm. building that relationship with them. Because I think while building the relationship with your AE is, is great. It still kind of falls under the everyday stuff that what you're supposed to do. But I think taking it to the next level with the reps asking for feedback, finding out, hey, here's a recording of my call. What do you think? What do you think I could have done better? Seeking advice. I think all that stuff leads to building that relationship with them. And that's one of the contributing factors of why they offered to hire me out so quick. Because I was figuring out kind of what they were looking for, what their expectations were, and then meeting and exceeding those. And that was with the AE. That was with the go between the two companies. Oh, so okay. our, the point our of point of contact, I see. Our POC. Okay. Very good. So you, you built a strong relationship with that individual. Oh, yeah. Okay. For sure. In addition to the relationship with the AEs that yep. you were supporting. Okay. Very good. So this is a couple of weeks and they moved to offer and you're, I'm all in. What, what Walk us through what happened. So it's actually funny because she did it nonchalantly. We had a Slack channel for him and she just said, this is at week two. She was like, you know, if you ever want to come work here, just let me know. I'll start the process for you. And week two. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that's, enough. that's fine. And then I'd say probably a week later, uh, I got back to her and I said, you know what? I know you guys are only looking for two people to add to the team right now. I don't want to miss out on an opportunity. So let's start that process. And she's a great individual, super great individual, no longer with the company, but I owe everything to her at the moment. Because during the negotiation process of figuring out benefits and pay and all that stuff, I was blunt with her. I said, hey, look, like this is the range I'm looking for. Like I'm worth this much because of all this experience I've had in the past. Mm-hmm. You Over the last couple of weeks, you've seen what my work ethic is. So this is, this is what I'm looking for. And she said, it's actually outside of our range of what we're looking to pay. But let me see what I can do. And I, I think this is important part, at least in my opinion, is I believe that you had 
uh, a stronger negotiate negotiating position mm -hmm. because she had actually seen your you perform for a oh, couple yeah. of weeks for sure so it wasn't just talk she had seen you in action mm -hmm. and so i think that helps you from a negotiation standpoint absolutely no 100 percent. and then uh, what happened they added 5k to the base and the rest is history just for just because you asked for it yep wayne gretzky said it best you're gonna miss every shot you don't take yeah so at this point <laughs> this good sales negotiation thing once you know they're ready to commit you can pretty much ask for what you want and if they say no okay you have something to fall back to but if you don't ask you're never going to get it so and so when did you start with them full-time on my birthday february 11th february 11th okay good very good and so talk to us about what you've been doing since you landed there a little bit of everything so still doing the business development booking meetings though that's less and less now just based on our territory strategy but i am currently still booking meetings here and there i'm working with all of our first time orders so the first time they they have their experience with us i'm going through and closing the business there well i have taken over a lot of the training and coaching side of things for our team that as people are getting promoted and we're hiring new people kind of being that person to lean on to learn their sales skills learn their cold call skills develop scripts for um emails campaigns and sales or an outreach those kind of things and so you're closing deals closing deals and then you're still surfacing opportunities and then yep. you're coaching training onboarding new hires yep very good and what advice would you give to someone who's considering making a move what to look for understand what the expectations are so i would say that the most important thing that i was looking for was to understand where i'm at now and what they're expecting of me once i join that company or mm -hmm. go and do that different role how much of that transfers over what do i need to learn now to put myself in a position to do that kind of th that other role so understanding the expectations because i know a lot of people especially sdrs want to make that next move as quick as possible Mm -hmm. But I would personally caution to wait a little bit, master your current role. And then once you step into that next one, you're just going to be 10 times better than everybody else. So, and it goes back to the efficiency thing. So like right now, while I am essentially doing two and a half roles now is because I can take my BDR work that would take a normal brand new SDR BDR eight hours to do, I can do all that work in two hours. Mm -hmm. And then now I've got three hours to do something else, three hours to do something else. Mm -hmm. Most of it's learning. Mm -hmm. What do I need to do for the next role? Like I want to be, I want to lead our BDR team. So what skills do I need in order to take over that? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons I took over the training was because that's going to be one of those functions. So slowly working myself towards that. It's got to be a great guy to learn the game from. No doubt. No doubt, right? You said in our pre-call chat, you think people take the time at you think people take their time at Memory Blue for granted. Oh yeah. Why 100%. do you say that? Because it's probably one of the best ecosystems for growth in that role you could have. You've got a hundred, two hundred other people in the office with you or on your team where you can at least talk mm -hmm. through Zoom mm -hmm. to learn, bounce ideas off of. People are going through the same exact thing that you're going through now. We're in and normal size companies like small mid market 
you're going to be either the one there or on a team of five or six, somewhere in there. And I think here at Memory Blue, you have so many different people and so many different campaigns to learn from that you have more opinions and more people to grab information from than you would at any other company. That's good. What else are you learning about now? Like how you, so you sounds like you're on a path to maybe be in leadership mm -hmm. and management. So how, how are you developing those skills now? Or what do you look to? You have people you talk to there, you're reading things. Lots of reading. I'm a huge Simon Sinek and John Maxwell fan. Okay. And so I know John Maxwell's like, quote unquote, the leadership guru. And then Simon Sinek is like, just amazing individual. He is. So a lot of that stuff, I'm doing a lot of reading, working on myself personally, because I have to level up in order to be able to level up a team. Mm -hmm. And I know when we talked before, like two of the books that helped me get where I'm at would be Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm -hmm. A classic. Talked about that. Over 100 years old, and the information still applies today. Timeless. It's, yeah. So that's the number one key for me for building relationships, 100%. And then two other ones. One's a sales book, Go For No. I wouldn't even call it a sales book, but I think the mentality applies directly to sales. That one was a great one. And then just because I'm connected and I actually talk with him, but I think it's Bob Berg's The Greatest Salesman. No, it was something else. People can look it up, Bob Berg's. Yeah. But yeah. His book, his most known book, super great. And then the other one was The Greatest Salesman on Earth. It's like said is like a, mm -hmm. a story, so to speak. Part one and part two are both phenomenal. I, I really enjoyed those. Super quick reads. Og. Og Mandino. Yeah. 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 That's a classic as well. Yeah. All right, Jeremy. It's good stuff, man. This was good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we appreciate it. Lots of pearls of wisdom. For the listeners, that LinkedIn one is huge. Yeah, that's great. That your dedication to learning to talk and describe and share what the prospects are, what's important to them. That's like that's your linchpin, right? Mm -hmm. That's like the staple of your offense, right there. It is the offense. It is the offense. It's the only thing you need. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize that. No, that's so huge. It's not even funny. So that was good for me to know because sometimes you forget about those things. Mm -hmm. Right, so well, it's hard to teach them too. If you've been doing them for so long, like it's just second nature, so you don't even think about it. It's like breathing. Good. Okay. Let us know if we ever do anything for you, man. I appreciate you joining us. Taking an individual's raw potential and turning them into a thriving sales professional takes the right training. That's where Memory Blue Academy comes in. Memory Blue Academy teaches participants the fundamentals of sales development and all aspects of a lead generation role, regardless of the level of professional experience or background. The course kicks off with a two-day intensive boot camp session, followed by a six-week ongoing educational program. This is the program every single Memory Blue SDR undergoes at the onset of their tenure. The curriculum covers a wide range of topics, including list building, objection handling, effective sales emails, and more. Participants will be shown how to successfully execute a diverse set of sales activities in a very short time, experiencing tangible and lasting skill growth. To learn more and sign up for a seat in an upcoming session, head to memoryblue.com academy.
Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep. Thank you.